0: Warning, this episode includes adult themes and language, including people hating the consequences of their shitty actions. Disevidentia is an inability to reliably process evidence, and this is a podcast all about it.
1: This episode was released March 24th, 2021, and we are discussing DisEvidentia because it is clear millions of anti maskers are suffering from it.
0: I am Miko. And I am Squeaky.
1: We are software developers, and we were just rescued by a teenage mutant ninja turtle. But they had
0: no mask, so we don't know which one. Check out our sponsors at DisEvidentia.com on our support page. You can also buy the books from our sponsored links in the show notes to support the show.
1: Today, we are going to discuss Callahan's Razor, Mask Effectiveness, and the Ridiculous World of DocuFiction.
0: But first, I'm going to go on a rant. People are deeply annoying. I was shitposting on Reddit and stumbled upon a discussion in R. Magic the Circle Jerking about trans rights. Her name is Alicia who smiles at death, including the smiles at death part. She lives in the fictitious gay multiverse of Magic the Gathering, and she transitioned from Mr. Murderous Murderer to Miss Murderous Murderer, and murdered anyone, anytime. She is a fictional trans character who made people dead that dead named her. Fortunately, most people on this part of Reddit are decent and jumped to her defense. Even though Alicia is the last person who needs defense, it is the right ethical stance. She literally has an army called the Mardu Horde with swords, horses, spears, and other medieval army stuff. Or, in another timeline, she raised an army to slay the Mardu Horde and did so. She's a total badass and has all the rights she wants, and I link to books and stuff about her in the show notes. In this discussion thread, she was parodied as Alicia, who plays sport, and even had her card with the art of her leading the Hordes into battle, modified with a football. Either this is conservative, bigoted ignorance, or a jab at that ignorance, and that ignorance elevates the extremely minor issue of trans people in sports to full-blown bigotry in reaction. Clearly, Alicia's ability to run a touchdown is more important than the countless warriors felled by her sword. Gah. Some small fraction of people transition from male to female. Some fraction of this fraction of people then play sports. We should have more sports in America. Again, see the show notes some small fraction of that fraction of a fraction of those people go on to compete at a level where it matters in some competitive sporting context. Even then, if there were tons of people, it is still just sports, and there are better ways than laws of working this out. Yet we have asshats pushing laws. Thanks to a paper from Jessica Campisi, a student researching this topic at Bellevue University, we know that there are 71 anti-trans bills filed in the last year, and 35 of those focused on sports. This is despite most lawmakers in most states being unable to cite examples of this happening, and even fewer where it is problematic. So this excuse is bullshit on three fronts. But that doesn't stop it from being used to justify a huge amount of pain and bigotry towards trans people. This isn't the only shitty excuse. People have baseless claims of pedophilia or appeal to some other evidence-free ideology like religion. There is real suffering with discrimination. Trans people get passed over for promotions, fired without cause, of lower earnings, and all of that is before the verbal bullshit directed towards them. Being a person that can easily pass for a rich, straight, white male, of course, the first place I go is economic harm. But I am sure the random violence trans people face isn't fun either. Fuck the deeply annoying people who care more about which bathroom trans people use than why trans people are fired or excluded just for being trans. There is real suffering around this, and people are pushing sports, testosterone, and bathroom laws, but not equal treatment or pay laws. The evidence is in. The bigotry is real, and we could probably do a whole episode on the slanted research of male-to-female discussion, political goals, and religious motivations of this, thanks to Jessica's research. Back to Reddit. These people verbally barraged anyone, even slightly transphobic. This is good. What is deeply annoying here is that people asking honest questions get attacked too. Someone suggested Alicia kill people. She is fictional, so clearly that can't happen. So one idiot, not understanding, pointed out that transphobia exists on a spectrum and questioned who should be killed, and blathered on uselessly for a while. This person did not get the joke. This person was drenched in a flood of downvotes and foolishly suggested ways to talk about actually changing minds. This person was just stupid, not a disevidentious sufferer that I know of. But they did miss the frequency that hateful bigots hide their bigotry as just jokes, even when the threats or words were affecting real and specific people instead of hypothetical homophobes being cut to ribbons by a fictional character's fictional sword. This person was espousing a mythical kind of centrism, where people who police themselves are punished, and often bigots just joking get away with it. They were talking about leading by example and taking the high road, and other things that historically don't and have never worked without other leverage. Look into it. Most peaceful protests had government, money, or the credible threat of violence on its side, or they failed. Still, this person wanted a serious discussion about trans rights, but couldn't grok that this wasn't the time or the place, because Alicia demanded blood. Well-meaning trans defenders just downvoted and reported, presuming the idiot to be a transphobe simply because he asked a question, and people not getting the joke reported comments for promoting violence. The discussion was locked, and is now a craterous wasteland of deleted posts. The instant demonization of these centrists is also entirely understandable, even if it's deeply annoying. Bigots commonly stand behind a defense of the marketplace of ideas. Let's discuss like adults. I am just asking a question. Or, bigotry exists on a spectrum. Bigots like to stand behind such phrases because their ideas are terrible and rightfully the target of derision. But as we are discussing it like adults, they can hide their awful ideas under a cloak of superficially civil words. This all comes back to the paradox of intolerance. I heard some guy named Karl Popper wrote about it in some book I bought but haven't read yet. Again, I linked it in the show notes. But the idea is simple enough, at least as I understand it. A society that wants to be tolerant of as many people as possible cannot tolerate those who start intolerance. Any group that tolerates the intolerant is eventually taken over by them. If someone is a thing, like a race, a gender, a hair color, or most of the protected classes, these are fine because they are harmless. Most things people do are pretty harmless, like grocery shopping, working, watching TV, playing sports, or just about anything other than hate. And let's set aside the technical details of environmental waste and pollution. It's not what we're talking about today, and those can be removed from the activity without getting rid of the activity itself. Most of these categories and things should be tolerated because when one is harmful, it's generally clear. Then we start talking. When we start saying someone shouldn't have the same access to society as someone else, or when we start acting, the intolerance can really kick in. We get literal Nazis, transphobes, or Trump supporters shouting death to some group, and that can't be tolerated. Moderate voices leave groups or even leave countries when such people are given a voice, and the intolerant become a larger proportion of the population, Sometimes this group gets big enough to seize power by violence. So intolerance, the kind of intolerance that could go away if bigots just chose for it to go away, can't be tolerated. There is no marketplace of ideas. That idea is fucking stupid if you think about it for even a few minutes. Bad actors want civil discussion about uncivil action so they can remain in the discussion. Assholes ask leading questions, pretending to be wise like Aristotle. All this leads to hating on the discussion entirely, or, often, tolerating the bigot. That one idiot is correct that we shouldn't kill transphobes. Unless there are mitigating circumstances like self-defense or something. The idiot crowds were right for trying to defend the rights of a character, even though she would just kill the objector. But bigot jackasses poisoned the waters of discussion, so real conversation couldn't be had. I can't tell if the lone idiot was a troll bigot or socially inept pedant, so he gets hated out by the crowds. This is the right behavior, but we can't know why it is right without knowing if we shouted down a bigot for being hateful or shouted someone down who simply didn't get the joke to get them out of the way. Does it matter? Did anyone else notice how we have less violence after deplatforming major hateful bigots? That is what we should be doing. Their hatred is free to copy and they will spread their dis-evidentia-fueled ideas, if they are allowed. I am not talking about getting rid of free speech. They just. Need to spend their own resources to get an audience and not be handed one at no cost. If this happened reliably, then maybe we can have a civil discussion when people don't get the joke without some deeply annoying jerk sheltering his hate in our conversation.
1: Disevidentia is an ability. Or God damn it.
0: Inability. God damn it. IN. Brilliant. A few days ago, we had an interview with uh, Paul Callahan
1: um more you than me but i was listening
0: yeah we only have two microphones and since you have the better voice we decided to give your microphone to him
1: yeah makes perfect sense
0: i can't keep a straight face after all that crap we just recorded <laughs> uh yeah so when we had paul on he was discussing a paper he wrote uh can you be right for the wrong reason
1: uh, tldr yes
0: yeah he goes into the uh the philosophical justifications and uh, epistemology of, or epistemology, Uh, whatever. One of those fancy philosophy words for how do you know what you're knowing? And he goes deep into, it's not good enough to just have evidence and to be be justified in thinking that evidence is true. There's something else you have to do to verify that it's true. Yeah. I, I guess... We should uh, run that now? Sure. All right, so here we go, back into the time machine to uh, a week ago when Paul was over. This is uh, Paul. He's just some dude, a friend from gaming, a teacher, and he wrote a document about why you can be wrong for the right reasons and came up with a, a way to tell if someone is being intellectually honest, and he's called it Callahan's Razor.
2: Yeah, thanks, Squeaky. Um, I was actually listening to your first podcast, and uh, you guys do a phenomenal job. Love everything you guys are doing. Looking very much forward to the corpus, the body of work that you two will produce. I like looking at
0: bodies, too.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) But, um, yeah, so I remember being nine years old and my dad yelling at me. And the reason that my dad was yelling at me, my older brother had been doing uh, some SAT prep, ACT prep, something like that, some standardized testing that he was too young to really be working on anyway. And, uh, so I did one of the problems and I got the answer right. And my older brother got the answer wrong. And I felt so proud of myself. And my dad pointed out that I'd gotten the answer right, but for the wrong reason. And so that I was still wrong. And that really bothered me. I was like, no, no, I got it right. It's, it's A, B, C, or D. I chose, I can't remember if it was C. I don't remember what the answer actually was.
0: You had a one in four chance of being correct anyway. And your logic got you close enough, but in the real world, you need precise answers for things like math and things that show up on the, you know, the the ACTs and SATs, and you might have gotten the wrong answer in another context using the same method.
2: Right, well, and that was sort of the thing that stuck with me was that Uh, I I felt that I was right. Um, And so a couple of years ago, I was in college, and I read Edmund Gettier's uh, philosophy paper where he explodes the idea of justified true belief, saying that it's insufficient for knowledge. And so he gives a bunch of sort of esoteric examples, but the one that I give in the paper, yeah.
0: Can you explain what justified true belief is? Oh, of
2: course, yeah. So you know a thing if you, number one, believe it, if you believe it to be true, and if you have justification for that belief. So for example, I know... That seven times seven is forty-nine because uh, that happens to be true. I believe it to be true, and I'm justified in believing it because one time in third grade, you know, I lined up all the beads and counted, you know, from zero to from one to forty-nine. Okay, right. Gettier comes along and he says, "This isn't enough. There, there are instances where you can be justified in believing a true thing, and you can believe that true thing and still fail to know." He offers a bunch of esoteric examples, uh, but the one I offer up in my paper is uh, it happened to me, and it was just this perfect platonic example of a Gettier problem. I came home from work and I got an email during the day uh, saying that a package that I had ordered would be delivered sometime that afternoon. Didn't give me a specific ETA. Didn't say four o'clock. Didn't say five. I just said it'll be there this afternoon. And uh, so I come home and I see a white box leaning up against my door. And so I think in my head, my package is here. So I have a belief. I believe that my package is here. I'm justified in believing that my package is here. Uh, so I walk up to the door and the white thing leaning against was just a piece of styrofoam trash that had blown up you know overnight or whatever and so i thought to myself oh no my package is and i felt but then i saw my package inside the door so very quickly i just realized to myself i just lived a gettier problem when i saw the white styrofoam did i actually know that my package was here and the answer of course is no Even though I was justified in believing it, even though I did believe it, and even though it was technically true that it was, my justification did not line up with my belief. And so Gettier points out a bunch of these uh, ways that we can have a justified true belief and still fail to truly know what's going on in the world.
0: It's just impossible to correctly match up what's in our head with the real world in a reliable perfect way
2: well exactly and the solution really seems to be well insofar as there is a solution the solution seems to be you just have to expand your justification base you always have to be expanding and by you uh, we as humans just always have to be expanding our understanding our knowledge of the natural world in order to be able to make greater and greater connections in order to be more knowledgeable
0: and that just means constantly gathering more evidence constantly questioning assumptions but making sure that when we do this, we do it in a way that is intended to improve accuracy,
2: not improve bias. Right. Yeah, exactly. It has to it has to improve our our predictive capability of what's what's going on in the natural world. And so in the um, in the sort of paper, in the paper that I wrote that was somewhat inspired by traumatic events in my childhood and somewhat inspired by just the process that you and Mako are engaging in with your with this wonderful podcast, it is sort of a question of well, why do we need this podcast and, and things like it. Why, why do we need to challenge people who have this who re, who are wrong? And uh, one of the reasons is because there aren't consequences. So most of the beliefs that you or I or any other human might have aren't going to result in what I would consider to be natural consequences. If you believe the sky is purple, if you believe that fire is cold, if you believe that red vegetables are poisonous, you can still live to the ripe old age of 97.
0: So like the time cube guy. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing that's stopping a person who believes that time and the Earth have four corners and they're somehow isometric, and that's a bunch of gibberish. But he believes it, and nothing is stopping him from believing that. That would that evolution would care about.
2: Exactly. So he can have, uh, he can go to work every day. He can clock in, clock out, pay his taxes, buy all the things he wants in life, participate effectively, have nine children, right?
0: And going back to that guy, uh, he did all those things. I don't think he had nine children, but he had a family. He had things going on. And he even got invited onto talk shows, and they thought he was joking. And he started seriously plugging Time Cube, and they're like, "Oh, this person's kind of deranged." Right? Oh man. I'll see if I can find a video on YouTube and put that in the show notes. Otherwise, I'll just edit this out.
2: <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. So the the razor sort of comes in with uh, of taking this sort of general principle of uh, you can be right for the or you can be right for the wrong reason and applies it to religion Uh, so religion is one of those things that we do in life uh, that adds a lot of flavor it adds a lot of texture so uh, and and i would say that people who devoutly believe in religion believe that their religion adds meaning
0: so if it's adding texture and flavor is religion the celery of life nice (laughs) i like that a lot <laughs> Sorry, I was just trying to pick something deeply unsatisfying that we tolerate anyway. <laughs> I, I love putting peanut butter on celery anyway.
2: So in the Middle Ages, there may have been some evolutionary drive. Uh, so as I recall, ch- uh, Google ch- fact check me on this one, but I believe the Jews actually survived the Black Death at a disproportionate rate than Catholics. <laughs>
0: Hey, it's time for another one of those corrections. After a little bit of research, there definitely was the perception that Jewish people survived better during the Black Death, but the numbers, even though there are many, are clouded by anti-Semitism. There are many proposed explanations for this discrepancy. Religious hand-washing is a plausible one. Religious persecution leading to inaccurate tracking of deaths and Religious persecution leading to isolation are both also plausible explanations. And here in a few moments, I'm going to claim something about Florence. The actual city is Venice. See the show notes for details.
2: Because of their religion. Uh, their the religion has certain prescriptions that they followed that kept them cleaner and safer from. But nowadays... May I? Please.
0: The concept of quarantine, it came about in Florence in Italy from religious reading... And there was one specific part of the Bible that said that you should take people out for 40 days. And that's where the notion of a quarantine came from. They isolated people who were sick coming in with the plague and separated them because the Bible said so. And I think this is analogous to to your example because they're doing it for a reason. They think it's true, but it's not the correct reason. They don't understand germ theory at all. But they are doing it because they have a reason and it did have good results empirically. It saved lives, but not because of divine power.
2: All right. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. And so, but today, I, there's no evolutionary advantage to being Muslim versus being atheist versus being Zoroastrian versus being uh, a Satru. I mean, pick, pick a religious preference. If you think it adds meaning, it does for you, and that's fine.
0: I would suggest you listen to the third episode. I know oh, we were talking you hadn't yet, but there's a huge evolutionary advantage to being real because he is with all the women.
2: Oh, <laughs> yeah, I believe that. It's difficult to have these discussions with people who believe fervently and honestly that their religion is true because it's difficult to see one's own religion as an outsider. And so the, the, the mm-hmm. razor that I propose is that of discussing... Uh, very casually with someone, Uh, the social constructedness, the the nature of architecture and how architecture in all societies, it it comes about because there's a need. All uh, civilizations need shelter. But of course humans are creative, we're artistic, we, we uh, express ourselves, we compete with our rivals. And so architecture is just one of the ways that we engage in those aspects of our humanity. And if so if a person is capable of discussing that social constructedness, that, that historical aspect of the development of architecture, but then they're not capable of discussing that social constructed aspect of religion, that tells you very quickly, it's not worth it to continue the discussion the reason the logic the, the sort of dispassionate dissection of uh, religious principles and their basis in history isn't going to land with this person and so that if you want to stay friends drop it uh, or maybe that that tells you something gives you some information about whether or not you want to invest energy in that friendship and so the the razor is just why did why didn't aztecs build pagodas so and the reason is just because pagodas weren't part of their history and so if, You can have that easy discussion. Uh, It should be similarly easy. Why weren't the Native Americans Christian? Because they didn't develop Christianity.
0: The common example atheists bring up when discussing things like that is, if all of science were to be lost, we would rediscover gravity. We would rediscover evolution. We would rediscover all these things because they're based on independently testable, independently verifiable things. And we keep expanding our base for knowledge as per... You know, this discussion, we keep learning more and more, and it keeps steering our knowledge to converge on a single point. Whereas with religion, there isn't that check on the real world, and every culture comes up with a different religion, and it diverges. Exactly. So when we have isolated cultures, they come up with their own religion, they don't invent Christianity, a missionary or some other similar cultural exchange has to
2: bring Christianity to other people. Right. Exactly. I mean, I guess, I guess we're, I mean... I'm an atheist, but uh, I guess we're just fortunate that we happen to be in the society of the religion that won. I mean, that really is just a a position of privilege to have, which is an interesting thing. And um, so I guess final thought from the paper is uh, I think that uh, some people who read it might be tempted to say, well, if it doesn't matter if red vegetables are poisonous or not, if I can uh, live my life, why does it matter if I'm right? Right. No, exactly. Exa- no, that's the thing. If you're saying there aren't natural consequences, then why do I need to be right? Can't I just choose to believe? Well, uh, I would point out the ozone near calamity. Uh, back before I was born in 1985, a scientist pointed out, I, I think it was the May issue of uh, Nature magazine. That'll be in the show notes. I can't remember exactly which one it was. But, um, In the middle of 1985, a scientist published their findings, and it it might have been a team of scientists, published their findings that there were ozone-depleting chemicals coming from various suite of industrial processes, not least of which was air conditioning. And so by 1987... there there was a political solution in place. The Montreal Protocol was passed. I think it was 30 nations uh, initially signed on and we decided we're going to stop producing these ozone-depleting chemicals. We're not going to fry the planet. And I believe now in 2021, you can't get many of those chemicals. There used to be a recycled market, but when I updated my air conditioner, they said, don't even bother with that because you won't be able to get your... So we had to get the new stuff. And I've forgotten all the scientific names of those chemicals. But without good knowledge, without having the the correct alignment of our justification with our beliefs, as a species, we are definitely screwed. We're, we're going to do something ridiculous to wink ourselves out. And just being members of that and being more responsible ourselves, I, I think is a thing we can do to foster that value so that we have more people doing more effort to expand our justification for all the knowledge we have as a species.
0: Wow. Thank you. That is very insightful. I've always taken a similar but opposite tack on why we should be correct. Oh, of course. My view has been, well, I guess actually it really is analogous, or it really is the same as what you're saying. I choose to try to be correct and correct in my methods, not just to prevent some major calamity, but if I let one bad belief in on bad reason, I will reuse that bad reasoning somewhere else, and I think this is why we see a huge overlap in evangelical Christians and QAnon believers. Well, in order to become an evangelical, you probably had to do something to your critical thinking to the point where you couldn't accept evidence. Most people who accept things like evolution see tons and tons of evidence and become some more moderate flavor of Christian. You know, they're 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 Catholic or they're some other Protestant, and then if you can accept that the earth is 15 or five thousand years old and you think we all came into existence all at once and you can ignore all that evidence you have this powerful mental mechanism now for ignoring reality then it doesn't seem so far out there it doesn't seem delusional to believe that joe biden is a zombie harvesting the adrenochrome from orphans for his own personal satanic rituals
2: oh my god right and and those people are fostering micro communities that are denying us the next great engineer Oh, that is out there. Oh man, oof. Well, and those micro communities, the they're fostering environments where we're not gonna get the next engineer, the next scientist, the next breakthrough. I think individuals still matter, and I agree with you one hundred percent on this one.
0: Was there anything else you wanted to plug, or did you want people to be able to contact you? Do you have like a Twitter handle, or website, or book that you are uh, pushing? I have nothing. I'm I'm just a guy, but I really appreciate the offer. Okay. Thank you for coming on to the Desevidentia podcast. We appreciate having you. Oh, this is my pleasure. Thank you so much. So, after hearing from Paul, if you're interested in reading his paper, we've posted it online in the Disevidentia Google Drive. You can see that link in the show notes, because it is, uh, looks like 64 characters of random letters and numbers that I'm not even going to try to say. He also has several sources he cites. There's an NPR article about Beatles fucking beer bottles. He has the Wikipedia page pages for Argentine ants and justification epistemology. And he cites a couple of books. Is Justified True Belief Knowledge by Edmund Gettier. And They Asked for a Paper by C.S. Lewis. Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Dieman. Is it, is it Diamond? Diamond is what I would guess. Hang on jared diamond i deleted the d the (gasps) d will be there in the show notes just one d that's all i have Mm. it's gonna be a little d i'm sorry
1: well that's not surprising
0: there's a couple other sources he has like uh, a paper from nature and if i missed any they'll all be there in the show notes i hope you found listening to paul as enlightening as we did Mm
2: Mm-hmm um um damn it i shouldn't um, have told you about the power of um, the show notes um, um.
1: masks have been a divisive topic somewhat for pretty much this entire pandemic a whole lot of people say that they don't want to have to wear masks and then from there they try to argue that masks are not actually all that effective or they inhibit breathing and cause other kind of health problems and they come up with all of these weird justifications and with that pushback there's a whole bunch of other people on the other side that to say that actually no
0: these things aren't necessarily true so like everything else in modern politics one side is using evidence and one side is full of idiots which one's which well I mean, I think you can guess
1: which one is using evidence, but they <laughs> Yeah,
0: okay. I, I yeah. could. I, I ask leading questions, sorry. Yeah. But the the thoughts,
1: some of the thoughts, uh, the, the nuances within the thoughts are not completely off base. They there are things that can be said about them. Like so a common criticism of masks that I have heard, for example, is that the COVID-19 virus itself is too small to be stopped by masks. And it is actually measured at uh, just 0.1 micrometers.
0: So they're smaller than the CO2 molecules because those get captured by the mask. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, For those who didn't pick up on the sarcasm, CO2 is a molecule with three atoms in it. A virus has a lot more than that. Viruses are much bigger. Mm -hmm. More than seven
1: atoms, we will even say. (laughs) much more seven okay so COVID-19 is typically about one micrometer across or sorry not one point one micrometer across
0: and can I get that
1: in Ben Shapiro's (laughs) uh I don't know we'll say seven Ben Shapiro's okay I'm gonna be on seven for a while oh is Ben Shapiro seven atoms tall he wishes wow so most masks (laughs) only provide coverage for, uh, can like block microbes like and and viral loads that are down to about 4 micrometers, which is much larger than 0.1 micrometers. So that is kind of true. But this is also missing a lot of critical context. Like, COVID-19 does not just move through the air willy-nilly. It is actually attached to, or rides on, respiratory droplets that we exhale all the time and for context of those that needed respiratory droplets just any time that you are in a cold environment or just during winter and you exhale slowly onto some glass and you see it fog up and you can even run your finger across the surface of the glass and you know this there's a little bit of wetness there. That is your respiratory droplets and it is exactly those things that are carrying COVID-19 if you've been infected with COVID-19. and Those respiratory droplets vary in size greatly. Uh, Most of these respiratory droplets are actually between 1 micrometer and 10 micrometers. And even like the basic cloth masks that a lot of people like to discredit are effective at blocking these droplets down to about 4 or 5 micrometers. And these surgical N95 masks can block all the way down to 0.3 micrometers.
0: Just for comparison again, this is a lot of numbers. Yeah. You said the N95 masks can block... And I believe one of the sources said 95% of 0.3 micrometer particles? Yes. How big was the virus again?
1: 0.1 micrometers.
0: All right, so it's much smaller, but the droplet that the virus is traveling in is what's getting captured. Yes. And not always, but in a statistically significant amount Very to significant. make it safer.
1: Yes. So that is the missing context that a lot of people are missing when they try to make that claim. I mean, it, it is technically accurate that an N95 mask cannot stop something that's 0.1 micrometers across but that's not what it's trying to stop because that's not what it needs to stop
0: so we have a bunch of sources listed here and you've listed looks like four different reddit threads that are all about conspiracy theories yes so
1: these okay only two of these are directly related to masks there are a couple other ones were just things that i thought were let's go with neat uh, that i found along the way but these links were just to establish what people are saying against masks like just firsthand this is something that somebody actually took their time out of their day to write and they were not paid to do so and uh, one of them is from anarcho-capitalism and the other one is from go figure conspiracy Hmm. yeah and they say
0: some pretty predictable things uh the anarcho-capitalism We can just call them ANCAPs if that's easier. I think most people will know... Sure. ...that ANCAPs are anarcho-capitalists, and they're people who like billionaires. Oh. Even though they have no hope of ever being one. Okay. That's the the American dream, though, is wishing you can become a billionaire, because we're all temporarily disenfranchised billionaires. Of course. That's what everyone would have us believe. Oi. Anyway. So,
1: in this post, they provide an image that shows... Uh, It's actually sourced from the New York Times and their COVID-19 tracker, uh, which unfortunately, when I tried to follow up on looking at the the original source material, I got paywalled before I got too far in, sadly. But the image that is specifically linked there tries to show that there was no real change in the new case rate uh, across the entire United States when you're talking about different places that were trying to introduce uh, mask mandates and and didn't. But the image itself is not actually saying all that much. And it's not even really clear what it is that it is trying to say. It's just poorly labeled, for starters.
0: Yeah, I went and I looked at the uh, COVID tracking project, because that's where the New York Times was getting their data, mm-hmm. according to that chart. And uh, the numbers in the chart Largely lined up with the graph from the tracking project, but they did pick a, a weird set of uh, start and end points for the data, so it makes it look like it makes it look like the pandemic was waning just after January sixth. Mm-hmm. So everyone in the discussion thread was saying uh, total bullshit. They were saying things like, "Oh, of course the disease went down after the Georgia runoff. They were just using it to scare up votes." Well, that's clearly not true. If you extend that chart back another month, we can see there was a giant peak around Christmas because people were traveling for the holidays. People traveled for Christmas. People traveled for uh, Thanksgiving. People travel in December. Yeah. And you're going to spread a disease more. So, of course, we had a spike. We also had a bunch of places that didn't have good rules around safety. We haven't had any quarantine. We haven't had anything. So, of course, we had a spike.
1: Yeah. And it's been repeated by a number of medical health professionals that masks, while they are effective, they're only effective if enough people wear them. And what is enough, you get going to get a slight range of answers uh, from one person to the next. The lowest I've ever heard is 50%. And most medical health professionals don't agree with that. They do feel that it needs to go higher. But the highest I've heard is about 80%. Most of them say around 70% of people need to wear masks for real tangible benefits to occur
0: now i didn't see it in the sources but you did more research on this than me is it true that masks protect you several ways or protect the population several ways they keep you from getting sick and they make it less likely for you to get sick they make it less likely for other people to get sick Mm -hmm. but really the big thing is your droplets can't get out that is the big big thing yes
1: that's the single largest impact that you're going to get out of it. There is still some research that's out that's being done, but a number of doctors and scientists are arguing that even if you're not infected, masks can still benefit you because they reduce the viral load that you receive. And they believe that the smaller viral load means that you have less severe symptoms and
0: may even be asymptomatic. So let me uh, see if I I got that. You're saying that my cloth mask which might not block everything, right? If you spew a bunch of droplets into the air by just talking Mm -hmm. with your buttery, smooth voice, Mm -hmm. then I breathe in your buttery, smooth droplets. If I have no mask, I'm going to get them all. But if I have a mask, I'll get some. And because I got some, my immune system has a better chance of fighting it off, so I might have reduced symptoms.
1: Yeah. There's less viral material infecting your body, causing less severe symptoms, making it easier for your immune system to fight. Yes.
0: Okay, so this plays back into some other things I've heard. Like I've heard, I don't want to go into other diseases too much, but I've heard with other diseases that if you have like an exposure of just a virus or two, you probably won't get it. But if you're, if, you know, if you're totally inundated, right? Like if you dip your dick in a bucket of AIDS infested blood, you're getting it. Yeah. But if you get like, a needle prick, you might not, as long as like you don't get like injected with a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Okay. That is the basic idea. And
1: again, I, I should stress that that is not science that we have completely concluded. Those studies are still ongoing because the pandemic is still ongoing and still fresh.
0: Some of the sources I saw, material matters, one of the 538 ones. I'm not sure if you got to all of those. Yep. But I saw that the N95 mask is made out of specially prepared material and has the tiniest hole but like a surgical mask is still better than nothing a polyester like net girder is not great but it's better than nothing and then like crap that you put over your face like some knitted mask is terrible and then uh in one of the the 538 sources they actually said if you make a mask at a tinfoil it won't work at all that's an interesting claim uh they said if you sneeze or whatever it all comes out the sides i'd imagine you just blow through it because it's tinfoil
1: yeah Yeah, you you don't want to just redirect the airflow. So you don't want something that's completely solid. You want something that is a a fine enough mesh that the air goes through and nothing else does. That is the ideal case. So people that like to joke that just, oh, put a plastic bag over your head, that won't work for a few reasons. So, yeah, it's true that you don't want a a hard surface. You want something that's a fine enough mesh that the air goes through, but none of the viral load does. And that's what a bunch of these other materials do. And N95 in particular is is most effective, uh, but it's also somewhat in scarce supply, which is why a lot of medical health professionals and government officials are trying to urge people to not pick up N95 masks so they are preserved for the actual doctors and nurses treating COVID patients.
0: So there's been a, a lot of issues with the nuance here. Some people have heard, don't get N95 masks, and they think either... It's because it doesn't work, or we're supposed to be saving them, or that masks don't work at all. And it sounds like there's still advice going around from official sources to, to not hoard N95 masks for personal use, yep. and to definitely use a cloth mask of some kind for personal use. And that is to free up the N95 mask for medical professionals and first responders? Yes, Uh and you know,
1: surgical masks that applies a little bit less too, because surgical masks are easier to mass produce and manufacture. So there's less of a like I don't want to say mandate, but less stress on not purchasing those. But cloth masks are easy enough to uh, create, to wear. They are mass produced, and we even have a roommate that makes some cloth masks themselves. And so they're just easy and readily available. And again, as to repeat what I said earlier, they, the cloth masks, even the basic ones, as long as you're using a reasonable material, they will still block any droplets or, or viral loads or any particulates that are down to four or five micrometers, depending on the material. And again, most of these water droplets that you are exhaling are between one and 10 micrometers. So it's still going to block about half of those particulates.
0: All right. So I'm going to simplify again. There were okay. a lot of numbers there. Yes. Wear a cloth mask. That yeah. simple? Well, you'll know better if you should be doing better? Like, if you're a doctor, you'll know what you should be wearing? Like many things that we're talking about with uh,
1: measures for the pandemic, like including social distancing and all of that, it is a a statistical approach. I mean, we can't guarantee that you won't get infected. That's not how any of this works. But we can greatly reduce your odds. And that can be the difference between getting infected and not getting infected so yes wear a cloth mask if it's if you that's all you got
0: was there any advice on what we should do if somebody has n95 masks should we be donating those to hospitals or doing anything like that or should people just be using those if they have them
1: if you already have them there isn't really a good supply chain for distributing those best case scenario you have a doctor friend you give it to them they figure it out but aside from that just use it and don't buy more
0: okay So now let me try to summarize again. Mm -hmm. Buy and wear cloth masks. If you have N95 masks, use them, but don't buy more. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty easy. Uh, We have a ton of sources on this in the show notes. We cite uh, hopkinsmedicine.org. Again, another paper from Uh, nature.com. pnas.org. Looks like uh, academic papers. We have 538 in the COVID Tracking Project. We link to four Reddit threads. And abc13.com. Oh, this video is awesome. We didn't talk at all about this video. Oh, that's kind of... I don't want to say important, but yeah, let's let's, let's take a moment to talk about it. Everything before this was informational and important. This next part is... Fluff? Yeah, yeah, fluff. So tell me about this maskless woman arrested in Galveston the day after mandate lifted. Oh,
1: so there was a woman who is retired... And was going on a road trip in an RV through Texas and decided to go into a Bank of America on Central City Boulevard in Galveston. And she did so without a mask. And there are strict mask rules within these banks because even though the Texas... The state of Texas lifted its mask mandate. Individual businesses still have the right to exercise whatever mask mandates that they want. And Bank of America did. And so when she walked in, she figured that there would be no problem, that the state of Texas has said otherwise, and their requesting for a mask just was invalid? This is me
0: speculating. I don't actually know this. So this person who's conservative, who's a Republican— presumably believes in things like freedom and property rights, didn't believe in the bank's right to demand safety equipment? It would
1: seem that way. Again, I'm speculating. She wasn't all... She did elaborate
0: after the fact a little bit into what she was thinking, but not a lot. Yeah, her her logic didn't seem very coherent. She seemed to think that the state lifting the mask mandate meant that masks were banned, and that's an entirely different kind of claim.
1: I I don't remember hearing that claim. Uh, Maybe I I read between
0: the lines. Maybe. Uh, She did explicitly say that she didn't think the pandemic was real. So there's that. Grade A disevidential sufferer. Yeah. It's hard to find them so cleanly and clearly. But we're going to link to this video. It is so good to watch. The the highlights of it, real quick,
1: is that she was confronted by staff uh, to put on a mask she said no. They called the police. The police confronted her to put on a mask. She still said no. And then she said, Oh, what are you going to do? Arrest me? And the officer said yes and then
0: arrested her. And during this, the other bank patrons were just on looking. And she must have interpreted it as pity or something. But she was asking for help. And she's like, Do I deserve this? Or. She claimed police brutality. Yes, that's right. She's like, This is police brutality. And the other people in the bank were like, no, no, it isn't. Like, calmly, not even yelling, just several people being like, no. It was pretty unanimous. It was so good. Yeah. Because you're being arrested and you're putting up the best fight you can. And everyone else around is like, no, you deserve this. Like,
1: this is justice. This is what the police should be doing with our tax dollars.
0: Like, the only way it could be better is if the other people at the bank were, like, hitting her with a pillow or something. (laughs) Like, it shouldn't escalate to real violence for this. Just shameful violence. Like, look. You're too inept to to deflect this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Was this the only incident involving this woman?
1: No. We didn't scare up a source for the other incident because, uh, honestly, I don't want to give this woman too much attention. But she was caught and arrested at another location for not wearing a mask, I think, two days later.
0: So maybe she's some kind of attention seeker, but she's going to have legal problems later. Doing this stuff willfully makes the second... Uh, charged so much worse yep oh goodness <sighs> all right so here we go back into the time machine
1: oh boy time machines
0: doodly do doodly doo doodly
1: doo. <laughs> oh my god
0: all right so lightening up from a pandemic and mm-hmm. trying to understand the nature and fundamental value of truth and questioning your own knowledge we have docu-fiction uh uh-huh. This stuff is goofy. I encourage you to watch everything we linked in the show notes. It's all hilarious.
1: There are some really good ones, and there are some, I don't want to say terrifying ones, but certainly some
0: worrying ones. So, docufiction, most of us have probably seen some piece of it. So, this is just hopefully, this will just be a labeling of something you already know. But, docufiction is when you, or is when a content producer puts something out there that's not true. But they put it out in the the shape of a documentary. When we were if you're of millennial age, it's highly likely that in one of your your middle school or high school textbooks, you read about that scientific study, or maybe you even saw a video of, of a scientific study where they gave different drugs to spiders. Mm-hmm. Right? They gave the spider alcohol, they gave the spider marijuana, they gave the spider meth, and it did different things, right? It screwed the web or it couldn't make a web. And this is great to teach people because it's like, hey, here's an experiment. Here's a, a distinct result. People have seen spider webs. Here's a testing procedure. This is readily understandable, and there are concrete results. So it's a great way to teach experiments. And then this Canadian Nature Group made what looks like a documentary about this. And then the crack spider busts a cap and the caffeine spider's ass, and it's, it's good.
1: They were smart enough to do the slow roll. And, like, the first weird claim,
0: you're just like, I'm sorry, really? So... Docu-fiction exists on a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. There's the real innocent fun stuff like this, right?
1: Yeah. It, it, it escalates to the point of absolute absurdity to where you, you know it's not serious.
0: Oh, yeah. There's a spider driving a little car, right? Yeah. And he's driving away from his child support payments. Clearly not real. Mm-hmm. <sighs> unfortunately, we, we mean, unfortunately, we know that this means somebody out there believes it. Luckily, that is so few people we can ignore them. Yeah. But there's a spectrum here. Right, there are things that are slightly more plausible, right? Yeah. Like, com. that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, the, the it's they
1: seem to not quite take themselves seriously, but there's enough doubt there that maybe some of them do.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, I watched their video that was set in the 80s, but they kept talking about megapixels. The word hadn't been invented yet, right? That was, like, a 2005 word. Neat. So real subtle stuff like that. They make mistakes, but they're joking about it, right? They're like, and the birds are replaced with drones. And clearly this was made by a bunch of Zoomers, right? They're of that age now where they're in college and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, older ones, yeah. Yeah. And they did, it was a really good, it was a really well done video. They nailed like film grain, like you'd see in the 80s. Mm-hmm. They nailed, or maybe not film grain, but you know, that, that magnetic tape quality that you see on old things, right? Yeah,
1: just that old timey.
0: Filter. The reason I say I think it was made by young people is they missed some of these little details like the words, or they used words that, you know, were invented in their lifetime, so they presume it was there the whole time. Mm-hmm. That's really hard to do. You have to, like, do some historical research and understand the vernacular of the age you're producing something, or else you come up with little anachronisms like this. Oh, wow, that was a lot of crappy jargon I threw out there. Mm-hmm. Did, did I make my point anyway? I'd like to think you did. Okay. But still, Birds Aren't Real is proposing... That birds are being replaced with, by the government with drones. Not being replaced, have been replaced. Oh, you're right. The one I watched was from the 80s. You watched a newer one. Yeah. Didn't they, the CIA say the project's complete now?
1: Oh, uh, not the CIA directly, no. But the this group that is trying to get the word out, originally their goal was <laughs> to stop the CIA from killing all of the birds. But apparently they failed at that. And so now they're just trying to spread awareness that there is no such thing as a real
0: bird. All right. I said the CIA said that because in one of the Birds Aren't Real videos produced by these people, they said that. Mm-hmm. Again, this is still pretty ridiculous, but I've run into people online who believe this in a not ironic way. Yeah. And I'll dig into other people's like comment histories. And if they're doing other posting, I mean, if you don't know what shit posting is, assemble those two words in your head and you'll probably get a good idea. Yep, But they're not being serious and they're not citing sources. They're not participating in in, an academically rigorous discussion. And you can tell they're probably joking around. You look at their other posts, you know, there's real humor, there's intelligence, and they go to some, some political or some science subreddit. And whether or not they say something right or wrong, you know, at least they're operating in reality. But then you go into some people's comment histories and you go back and they say, yeah, I know the moon landings aren't real because there were birds and I know or there were birds in one of the pictures and birds aren't real. So they never really launched the Apollo mission. The shit that people connect to other things.
1: How do they go outside and see birds and not immediately think the reality isn't real by that logic?
0: Uh, the CIA replaced their retinas.
1: That's very invasive, the CIA.
0: The CIA is filled with rude people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look on your face, man. Look on your face. Uh, okay. So that's still pretty innocent, right? And it gets a little worse from there. Um, gonna go. Uh, so gonna go back in time. War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. So here, here's something that a lot of listeners might have heard wrongly, right? If you're of our age or older, right? If you're you know 30s, 40s, 50s, something like that, you might have heard that the War of the Worlds broadcast I- involved a huge panic, right? Yeah. There's not good documentary support for that. It looks like, yeah, there were some calls in to the radio station to ask if it was serious, and maybe a few people did run out to to uh, uh, shelters of various kinds. But if you look at what was actually going on in the documentation we have, there was a very popular variety show on another station. Most people were listening to that. So most people weren't listening to War of the Worlds. And H.G. Wells ran a show. It was like a weekly show. People were expecting fiction. So the people who were listening... Tuned into a show they wanted to hear, they knew was going to be fiction that had played with the boundaries of reality and fiction. Or, you know, they played with this docu-fiction boundary before, mm-hmm. where they made it sound like reality. So these people weren't really surprised, but they did get a bigger response than they normally did. We do, you know, we do have evidence of at least two phone calls, but the best explanation for this that I've heard, and we have links to it in the show notes, are uh, that newspapers later on wanted to discredit radio as a medium for getting news. The rationale is something along the lines of, you can't reanalyze, you can't re-skim it, you can't see the bibliography, you can't see if you're in the editorial or the news section. So you can't parse fact from fiction. And that's not a meritless argument, but it appears these newspapers fabricated this way after the fact because they don't cite sources, they didn't have people uh, uh, there at the time, they don't have... Uh, original documentation for why they say this panic happened and clickbait exists today why wouldn't headline bait exist back then response to sensationalism
1: is something that's pretty well ingrained in us
0: yeah yeah humanity is great at sensationalism i mean we have pieces of propaganda dating back to like ancient sumeria yep (laughs) the anunnaki are here (laughs) Bye, bye, bye. Get gold now. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. This is just... You should listen to episode three. The, the Anunnaki apparently genetically engineered us all so we could be a slave race and mine gold for them. Yeah, didn't you know? Yeah. Okay. So, if you want a debunking of that, last episode. So, uh, aside from that, you also have something about mermaids here. Oh, goodness. So, here. On this spectrum of docu-fiction, of funny joke to harmful lies, this is very close to the harmful lies end of the spectrum. They played this straight the entire time. It was one of the most watched things on Animal Planet, where it aired. Yep. Uh, Mako has the actual numbers.
1: Uh, I don't remember what the, the number was, but it aired in 2012, and it was the most watched thing since
0: the Steve Irwin memorial back in 2006. So, Steve Irwin dying is the, is the most popular thing that Animal Planet had at the time, second only to Mermaids the Body Found. At the time of its airing, yes. So, this documentary started off well before the air date with commercials. And there's links to this. There's a whole bunch of links to this in the show notes. But they had uh, kids on a beach filming them finding a mermaid with what appeared to be a flip phone, and it looked like a dead corpse, could have been plausibly a small shark or a dolphin or something. Uh, And they start poking it, and it's very much like a a Hollywood-style jump scare. And it was done in this sort of greedy way intended to make it look plausible i mean there's some obvious problems it was a hollywood production right like it had uh, scan lines that wouldn't have been there on a flip phone but it was extremely plausible looking if you're not familiar with the the film medium then it went to black and said mermaids mermaids are real or it sent you to mermaidsareal.com and they had a website that directed you to the documentary there was merch they wanted Mm -hmm. to sell you the the videos and then when it aired, after this gigantic PR campaign that included things like this, they had an elaborate web of lies. Uh, they had fishermen testimonies. They had fishermen speaking other languages, saying they saying they caught uh, fish with spear tips in them. And they slow rolled it very much like the spider uh, docufiction that we mentioned earlier. Except this one wasn't playing it for this one wasn't playing it for the lulls. No. So they started with fake spear tips. They had fake doctors putting forward fake taxonomies. They had uh, little bits of claimed evidence. Uh, they had kids saying they found a fake body. They had missing person reports for you know, missing humans. And they started bringing in ancient art saying, oh yeah, here's depictions of, of ancient painted caves with people, And this was all either faked or very carefully cherry-picked from real evidence. And they mixed it seamlessly. And as the hour-long piece was presented... It got more and more extreme, and about halfway through, they started dropping in CGI mermaids, saying, this is a recreation of what these mermaids would have looked like, because their CG budget was garbage, and it was 2012 CG, and it didn't look good. Wasn't it about the, this was back when sci-fi original fiction was really bad, and it was about that level? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the modern sci-fi originals, right, like the Sharknado movies? Downright convincing by comparison. I think the first Sharknado, I might be wrong here, but I think the first Sharknado was actually uh, 2013. Wow. Wow. This was way worse than the original Sharknado. Damn. Yeah, wow. Okay. No, I mean, this was like, seriously, like PlayStation 1 level graphics. It was bad. Ouch. Um, but they couched it in this verbiage where they said, this is uh, an artist's recreation. This is how they worked, and they tried to play up some compelling storylines, try to make it look like these things have empathy and that they had, you know, human-like qualities. And they presented this whole plausible evolutionary timeline of apes going back into the sea because, like, volcanic eruptions or their islands sank in the ocean or whatever, and they had time to evolve.
1: Yeah, that was one thing that I definitely noticed when I was doing my reading was that they leveraged the, uh, granted, not popular, but actual academic hypothesis that humanity came from aquatic apes
0: yeah that one is a real that one is a phrase this carefully there are serious scientists proposing such theories but we shouldn't read too much into those titles saying humans are an aquatic ape doesn't mean that we were merfolk doesn't mean that we lived in the sea continuously but that some early hominids gained benefit from going into the water occasionally and we got slightly better at swimming than some of the apes.
1: Yeah. Well, swimming and, and other swim related things like our ability to control our breath, for example.
0: Yeah. So I guess not all apes have that. We should get some sources and do some more research on that. But yeah. I'll see if I can scare up uh, the original, maybe not the original, but I'll scare up a credible source on us being an aquatic ape. So if you're interested, you can dig into it. Uh, but yeah, this, this documentary played on that the whole way through. And then in in the last few minutes, I don't remember exactly because it was really hard to find any of this and I watched chunks of it from various sources, but I did see it when it aired. It was was pretty fun. Uh, And the whole time I was like, this can't be real. This can't be real. And the people I'm with are like, no, this is real. No, this is real. And, And they eventually started realizing it was fake. And then... You know, after they show us the mermaid, then they show us a ton of other corpses of mermaids, and they show us the mermaid corpse, and then they say, and then clearly there's a whole bunch of these in the water. Are they friendly or are they hostile? Could they be invading? And they went straight to, like, ridiculous scaremongering. That was kind of over the top, but if you have evidentia, why wouldn't you believe it? Yeah. Right? You're not making your decisions based on evidence. You're making your decisions based on maybe the confidence of the narrator. Maybe you're making it based on trust and maybe you trust scientists.
1: The sheer sensationalness of the message.
0: Yeah, there was a high emotional load packed into this documentary. Yeah. And if you make your decisions based on emotion or if you trust, again, the generic label of scientists, which these people claim to be, or if you, just, or if you trust authoritative sources, and this aired on Animal Planet. And this was before Animal Planet went to complete shit and became like, you know, competitive... Gardening and, and reality TV, whatever, right? When it was still like, let's watch animals doing animal stuff. If they show you a thing on mermaids, that's a pretty authoritative, incredible source.
1: Yeah. A lot of people would think that because they're like, oh, yeah, I'm here for all of these educational shows. And now this thing that always gives me educational
0: shows is giving me this. It must be educational. Yeah. Yeah. This was really when their credibility started to tank, in my opinion. I'm sure we can find some other examples. and probably was more nebulous than that. Well, one other example, from what I understand, is they also did something about dragons. Yeah, that was like two weeks later. And I think it was the same team that made the Mermaids documentary. The Dragons documentary was way less plausible. It was it was a blast. Okay. But the reason we bring this up and we harp on it so long, it sounds like no one should be able to believe this because everyone listening to this podcast presumably values evidence. I'm sure many of us. Take for granted our ability to process evidence, but I'm going to go back to when I worked at Nebraska Book, when I gave that rant in the first episode, and I mentioned that co worker that believed in a hollow spherical Earth and an Earth that was flat and a disk. This one person believed both of these mutually contradictory conspiracy theories. Believe it or not, he didn't think mermaids were real. He had a friend who thought mermaids were real. Oh. He didn't carpool with us every day, but he did carpool with us often enough. To and this guy was also seriously smart. This guy didn't have a master's degree. He had a PhD. Oh. In what? Uh something computer related.
1: Okay, so not this, thankfully.
0: No, not not biology.
1: Okay. Or zoology.
0: But again, we worked we worked at a at a place in, in, in Lincoln, Nebraska. So we had to drive forty-five miles from here in Omaha to there. Yep. And we got to talk. And as long as he wasn't talking about the real world, this guy was seriously intelligent. He really liked to dig into game theory. He was working on understanding how the best uh, software programs played backgammon. So he was trying to understand the algorithm they implemented and trying to beat by hand some of the best backgammon AIs And he was seriously good at it. He was like world competitor level backgammon player. And like he was like rated and he was showing me his ratings and he was teaching me and I was getting good at this. And I wrote an AI and he was way better than the one I wrote, but not as good as the good ones. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I'm not going to claim to be good at the AI thing, especially because this was before all the deep learning libraries and all the tools that made it easy to make these things. But this guy was smart and capable. And we argued at least two or three car rides about whether or not this was real. And finally, I had to dig up a screen cap of the credits, right? And smartphones were a thing at this and thankfully. Mm -hmm. I saved it and showed it to him. He didn't believe me, right? Yeah. Finally, the next day, like the fourth day of us arguing about this, he's like, yeah, you were right. It's not real. And he just wanted to drop it and move on. He was so deeply ashamed. And the only reason he believed it was because in the credits of the actual show, And he somehow dug up the video himself and went looking for it. Because all the external evidence in the world didn't matter to him. Didn't matter the the biological classifications that were easy enough to look up. It didn't matter the total lack of any real doctor or academic paper. If we searched one of those scholarly online paper searcher things, nothing about mermaids showed up, right? We're just doing a quick Google search of the names that they dropped in
1: the documentary itself.
0: Yeah, uh, Sid Bennett and Chris Foley, the people who made this documentary... They do a lot of garbage. For reference, I have
1: the IMDB page for this mockumentary. Not even a mockumentary. But yeah, I have the IMDB page pulled up for it. And I can clearly see that these people are not playing themselves.
0: What else? What do you have? What do you have them doing? Oh, uh, well,
1: just I see names on the left side and I see the names on the right side and they're not the same names.
0: Oh, oh, oh. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. You're talking about the actors in this. Yes. And one of the doctors is something else. One of the... Yeah.
1: Jason Cope plays Dr. Rodney Webster. Helen Johns plays Dr. Rebecca Davis, for example.
0: Now, somebody deeply mired in Evidentia might spin around and say, well, IMDb would say that because the globalists control IMDb and they don't want you to know the truth about mermaids. So they're lying to
1: discredit it. Then my first thought is, well, if the globalists have that much control over everything, why don't they also have control over Animal Planet, preventing this from being aired?
0: (laughs) It is that simple to shoot down any argument about a massive worldwide conspiracy. Yep. Yet people continue to believe them, and I don't think there's any good explanation why. And people will try to tell you. People will try to say these people are intellectually lazy. And I'll point to this guy's ridiculous backgammon playing experience and this guy putting real effort into proving me wrong for any reason you can come up with that i'm aware of the 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 only thing that fits is some people cannot process evidence for themselves and this fooled a huge number of people and even to this day there are a lot of people who believe in mermaids and they made a second one (sighs) and what is that one called oh something like the cia something or other it has an interview From uh, an actor playing a CIA operative, and they they find a live mermaid and get a little snippet of fake footage from the bottom of some sea lab. I believe it's called Mermaids the
1: New Evidence.
0: Yeah, that sounds right.
1: And that was released
0: in 2013. Yep, a year later. Yep. Anyway, we have links to a bunch of this and a giant playlist. This is on YouTube. And unfortunately, there's even links to other places not handling this level of misinformation intelligently. Um, groups like the Wall Street Journal downplay how hazardous it is to freely mix fact and fiction so thoroughly. So they're saying, oh, yeah, no one's going to be fooled by this. Except for all the people who are. Yeah. <sighs> so traveling further down the spectrum of docu-fiction, where do Bill O'Reilly and Tucker Carlson fit in?
1: Oh, sweet Jesus.
0: All right, let's 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 leave them out of it. At least Tucker Carlson pretends to operate in reality. At least he acknowledges when things happen that are, like, unquestionable well, proof.
1: Selectively, I would say, but sure. He does a non-zero
0: amount of that. Yeah. Uh, we have a link to some of his ridiculous stuff in the show notes, too. Going even further down the rabbit hole of docu- documentary or news-style uh, information or news-style format, with misinformation packed in. Probably the king of it right now is Infowars. Yeah. Alex Jones openly lies, openly states things that are not true. In a recent episode, he was claiming to have a plan that the globalists have to kill everyone by 2030. And he's been saying stuff like that. I mean, if you pay any attention to him, you'll know that the globalists have successfully executed their plans to kill us 20 or 30 times. And he keeps claiming he's accurate. He just isn't. Uh, I link to a, a podcast called Knowledge Fight where you don't have to actually listen to Alex Jones' very long and very boring shows. You can get just some juicy bits and see how wrong they are, along with commentary commentary that intelligently rebuts it. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with everything that Dan and Jordan say, but I at least acknowledge Dan and Jordan operate in reality.
1: That is a pretty big upgrade over Alex Jones.
0: And I say that so negatively. I agree with 95% of what Dan and Jordan say. I think they play a little too friendly with the... Uh, people actively putting out misinformation, but they call it out, they highlight it, they don't support it, they don't promote it. We have so many people out there putting disingenuous crap out there, and this spectrum of where is harmless, where is where is it okay to be on this? Is the spider thing, is there an ethical problem putting out a joke like the spider documentary?
1: I want to say no, there isn't, but uh, that's just because I can't fathom anyone actually taking it seriously.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't met anyone who takes it seriously. But I've had indirect dealings with people who took the bird's one seriously. And I've had very direct dealings with people taking the mermaid thing seriously. And practically everyone I know has been misinformed on the War of the Worlds one, Mm -hmm. right? The War of the Worlds thing wasn't a real thing, but we took misinformation in about it. So we have this like layer of incorrectness.
1: There's a lot of examples about that specifically, like eating spiders in your sleep.
0: Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, because we don't yeah spiders it turns out don't like being eaten so they don't crawl into mouths yeah <sighs> one other thing i learned while i was doing this research was i honestly thought that the flat earth group was founded in, in the 90s and they were founded for the sake of uh parodying the concept of, of a flat earth and then i thought flat earthers snuck in and kind of took it over because they were just too serious and the jokers all left i was just totally wrong on this turns out there's sort of like two flat earth groups one of them's kind of old like Old, old, one of them was founded in the fifties in, in the UK, and they've been serious about the flat earth the whole time. They've just kind of and they've just kind of steadily grown. And when the internet was readily available, they spread. All the people who wanted to believe this because it lined up with whatever their preconceived notions were or lined up with their specific method of cherry picking. Mm-hmm. They flocked to Flat Earth. And it doesn't make sense to spend a lot of time debunking Flat Earth now. I mean, all the Flat Earthers kind of moved on to QAnon. It's not like they stop believing flat earth, but flat earth isn't a big issue now. Now they're all talking about politics and whatever the next Q drop is and stop.
1: Whatever seems like the big sensational thing to do right now. And like most conspiracy theorists, they're just they're trying to tie it into this grander, grander picture because there's always a bigger picture. Always, always, always.
0: Yeah. And some people will try to explain the 7-Incha by saying that people just want to be part of something large, something that matters. But that also doesn't line up because sometimes these conspiracies are ridiculous and don't matter.
1: Well, if they become convinced that it matters, then that still fulfills that.
0: Well, I mean, nobody's been able to explain to me in any coherent way why a flat earth... Why is someone lying about that inside the structure of the flat earth belief? Nobody can explain why that is. And some people take stabs at it and say things like, well, resources. I'm like, well, what about resources? They say, well... If I found some resources outside the Flat Earth, I'm like, okay, can you show me some Flat Earth documentation saying there's resources outside the Flat Earth? And no, the Flat Earth, even the Flat Earthers don't have that documentation. They're asserting no one's been outside the ice wall or the firmament or the Crystal Dome or whatever that specific Flat Earth model says. Mm -hmm. So it's like, why are the globalists, the Illuminati, the Jews, the lizard people, you know, these are groups the Flat Earthers say are lying to us. Why?
1: They don't think that far ahead. (sighs) The very limited, the very limited amount of discourse that I've had with these kinds of people, it just it seems to come back to they feel this is correct, and when
0: that feeling is sufficiently satiated, they simply stop asking questions. I would agree with that. That is an accurate representation of their behavior. I don't know why, but yeah, yeah, <sighs> yeah. So there's a spectrum of docufiction. Some of it's downright harmful. Some of it seems light and funny. There's an ethical line somewhere in the middle. I don't know where it is. Somewhat related. Where do you think on this spectrum Blair Witch is? I actually haven't seen the Blair Witch Project. Oh. Now, I have seen the Bear Wench Project. Not the same. That's totally harmless fun.
1: Yes. They make that much more or less clear.
0: Ah, very good.
1: Yeah. Claire Witch, <laughs> on the other hand, uh, they they did eventually make it very clear that it is a work of fiction. But as a part of a viral marketing campaign, they did everything in their power to give it an air of legitimacy. And then a lot of people missed the memo that was, in fact, fake after the the fact.
0: Oh, yeah. the The retraction never gets as much traction as the initial lie. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of harmful. And... When was Blair Witch? Was that late 90s? I want to say 96, but I'm not positive. Kind of. I kind of want to say 96 as well. Um, yeah, I kind of want to say it's not as harmful as some of the other things because the satanic panic was all in the 80s and we were kind of done with it. So this was playing on a really dead meme at that point. Yeah. But I mean, we still, we should, in my opinion as a society, have some stronger expectations on sorting our fact from our fiction. Because things like Tucker Carlson... He, in a court document, said, Let me pull it up. By all means. I'm doing a web search for Tucker Carlson, no reasonable person. Oh, great. Business Insider Fox News won a court case by persuasively arguing that no reasonable viewer takes Tucker Carlson seriously. I'll read this, make sure it's accurate, make sure my understanding is correct. I'll issue of retraction later i'll edit it into the show if i'm wrong but it raises the important question how many unreasonable viewers does tucker carlson have that's why we made a podcast all about disevidentia and the millions of people who dislike masks mm-hmm. yeah so fox news isn't claiming to be news in court documents they're saying no reasonable person would believe us and they're the most popular news station in the country yep and he's their most popular talking head Yep. So, yeah, that's why I lump him in with docu That's kind of ridiculous. So, I think we need some sort of law, legislation, social norm, something that effectively enforces when people are claiming to be news, they need to be held to a higher legal standard, right? If Rachel Maddow starts lying to me, I want to know that she'll be punished if she like starts misinforming me. If Tucker Carlson's lying to me, I want to know that he'll be punished. He's putting himself in a position of authority and truth and not issuing this, even the slightest retraction like the Mermaid documentary did. At least they put in their end credits it wasn't real. At least mm-hmm. Blair Witch came out later and said it wasn't real. That is the the common tactic for a lot of these these things uh, like
1: Tarko Carlson is to claim that it's either satire and that's actually a defense that Alex Jones himself has used in court claiming he is just satire and or saying that they are editorials so they can dodge the need to claim truth in what they say.
0: Yeah yeah and that works sometimes it didn't help Alex Jones in all of his court cases he did lose some of them yeah but he did enough court cases were one against him, were threatened against him, that he did at least back off of the Sandy Hook shooting.
1: Yeah, that was the big one, that, like, even saying it's a prank doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, because if it's a prank, why are people actually trying to bring violence against these people? For people not familiar with that, Alex Jones is a damn dirty liar, and he tried to convince everyone that the parents of the dead children after the Sandy Hook school shooting were crisis actors, and that they should be harassed because they're tools of the globalist. Yep. And there were numerous death threats, and I'm not sure if there were any actual incidents of violence, but... There were
1: threats of violence. People actually driving up to Sandy Hook and harassing the parents.
0: <sighs> Do we have anything happy we can say about docu Uh bear wench is pretty good if you're into just skin a max level of porn go watch the bear wench project um that spider video freaking hilarious watch that it's amazing highly recommend check out any of the other show notes too we do have some reading linked in here we link to npr birds aren't uh, business insider we have a couple youtube links to playlists for mermaids and tucker carlson if you want to check out infowars check out knowledge fight and i will scare up some source for uh, the Alex Jones... Actually, hang on. Ah, we got sad again. Okay, let's just cut this off now, Mako, before we introduce even more sadness. Just remember, bear witch, bear wench, bear wench, bear wench, bear wench, bear wench. Okay, I'm good. Awesome. I think we're going to come off as sexist. Hopefully not. You know, if you're into it, there's some sexy merman in that Mermaids documentary. Look for that. It's equal opportunity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh... Evidentia is a superpower allowing you to hyper-reliably process event weight.
1: Clearly the opposite of what we're trying to say. Thanks to our supporters, including Amazon. See the links in our show notes so you can get books and support the podcast.
0: Thanks to our ongoing Patreon supporters at the enthusiast level or better, Jared and Duct Tape. You can support us
1: by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash disevidentia if you spent all your money on fancy masks for a fancy masquerade, you can still support us by liking, subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the
0: show with your friends. Copyright 2021 Blacktop Studios Inc. Intro music was "Slow" by Pit X, used with permission.